Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. I'm Drew Taylor, joined, as always, by the vivacious, the magnanimous, the magnetic Charles Hood. Charles, how you doing? Hi. Wow. You really... <laughs> you really blew it, Charles. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. and I, I wish I could give you a really nice introduction, but... Um, and Drew, he's here. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, and we're back. <laughs> And we've got Paula Wagner back this week, so we're super jazzed about that. Yes, we are. Tell tell people about what they can expect, Charles. Well, I think they can actually expect one of our favorite things. I think there's a dog interruption this week. I think Paula Wagner's dog comes in and, and, and has some things to say, which is always welcome on our show. We love a good dog interruption. Yeah. Because you know we're all about dogs on the show. You know, Every time I'm on a Zoom and a dog interrupts, I say, well, can I see the dog? Yeah, that's my do. always my question. <laughs> you do, that's true. I do. And I was just on Charles with Robert Smigel a few nights ago, and his dog interrupted, and he, he put the dog on the bed, and then he started doing the triumph voice for the dog. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What? Yeah. So, oh, really I wish a, it could have been there to moment. see yeah. that. I love. I'll Robert send the Smigel footage to Luke, so and he'll much. he'll send it to you. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So anyway. We are so excited to talk to her again. As always, we want to just thank her for her time and her care and her kindness. It was a really special interview and one that, as we said last week, we had been literally chasing for years and did not disappoint. So, yeah, we love her and we love this interview. So we hope you guys do, too. And, um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Can't thank her enough. And I think, uh, yeah, we, we, we uh, jump in here, uh, continuing our discussion of uh, getting into Mission Impossible 2. So just wanted to set that up before we get in there. And uh, I think that's about it. Awesome. All right. Let's take it away. Yeah, so with, I mean, what were the challenges of producing a John Woo movie? There's a lot of, I mean, you're talking about how, you know, not very much action comparatively in the first movie, and then in the second one, there are a lot of explosions and a lot of guns, and you're shooting in Australia. Were there any challenges to that? Uh, <laughs> well, of course, uh, first of all, 
I think one or two other movies had been shot in Australia. But Australia was had a had a very good, you know, film uh, rebate, film credit at the time. Good crew, crew base, although limited in in number, it wasn't as large of a crew base, and it had a good reputation. Beautiful locations seemed to fit the story where we could you know, set up. It had Fox Studios there that were really, you know, very good production studios. So the decision was to go to uh, to Sydney and shoot in Sydney. And it had many challenges. Again, working on the biggest challenge with any of these kind of movies is to make sure you get the script right. And in getting the script, it's not only just the action and not only you know, the plotting of the story, but it's letting the film, through the filmmaker, find the right rhythm of the film and make sure that the characters stand out, that action, action for action's sake doesn't really resonate, particularly even now with audiences. Action needs to come from some, have some kind of motivation. It needs to come from the characters. And if your characters aren't working, your action becomes detached, non-personal. So you're not, as an audience member, you're not identifying, you're not connecting. So working on the characters. And we have a love story. And Robert Town is working diligently on, you know, really crafting the love story aspect of it. And um, because that's always important. And it's important. And it always was to me also to have strong female characters. You know, Vanessa Redgrave in the, as the villain in the first one. Yes, we love her. You know, she, and that was written for a man, by the way. Right. That character was written, Max was supposed to be a man. But Vanessa Redgrave wanted to play a man. <laughs> and it's a great That's idea. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's important that the women, and I think they are, and, it, and, they've, and they've continued that concept. The women are integral and strong and smart. Those are, to me, always very important qualities. Always have been. Yeah. And to have a diverse cast, which we did, you know, also. Those are, those are elements that are, you know, on a more character-driven basis. So besides the, the newness of Australia and besides... You know, all of the, the new regulations. So you're working under different conditions than, you know, you were when you're if you're shooting in the States, you, you have so many hours you can work. You have you know rest periods. You have this. There's a regulation in Australia. It was very different. So it was somehow, you know, getting used to the rhythm and the flow of how that worked. We brought some crew in and integrating the two crews together, mixing them together. Um, and the other thing, like literally we're in the midst of pre-production and just about, you know, on the final stretch, getting ready to start shooting. We're at Fox Studios and it sounds like we're under attack John Wu, I remember standing there in the production office. I'm there. It sounds like literally there, the roofs were the tin roof on the top of the production building. And we hear these 
things coming at us. And we all jumped down like, is it an earthquake? Because we're from California. What is going on? And it is the worst hailstorm Sydney ever had, I think, in history. There were hail (laughs) the size of baseballs coming at us. (laughs) It destroyed our car. We had all these cars, you know, uh, parked out in the parking lot that to be used in the film, destroyed them. It was this massive hailstorm, and everybody's running around, and and, uh, and you could just see it coming at you. Wow, it was crazy. This this kind of that began the that began everything, and we just you know you have to stop for a minute, get everything readjusted, and just keep on going. I <laughs> am. Um, <laughs> wow. We'll be back with more from Paulo Agner after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, so two is obviously a huge success. Um, and so you, you move on to MI3, and, and we're always very interested in the David Fincher version that never was. Do you recall working with Fincher yes, on, sure. on that version and what that was like? Sure. I do. Sure. And David was um, also working with Robert Town and David Fincher. And as a side note, Robert and David are working on something now, actually, together. The the Chinatown series? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we we kind of helped, I think, you know, put together a good a good uh, director writer connection. But, but, um, David didn't work on it that long. We had a lot of meetings, you know, the meetings are really a lot of thinking and talking about, okay, what is it about this? What is, what's the mission? What is the MacGuffin? What's the red herring? What, who are the characters? You know, what's, what's different about Ethan Hunt now? What is it that he's that he needs or he's looking for? And and how can we make Ethan more personal, even though he's this, you know, he's he's the leader of the charge. How do we make him more personal? What's his interaction? What is the the romantic 
you know, is there a romantic aspect to it? Is what is the relationship? So these are the conversations that come up. And Fincher had some really interesting ideas about it, very much in keeping with his his style and thinking and, you know, conceiving as a director. Uh, and I think I think what happens is you he's very smart. He's very smart director. And I think that his vision and his, you know, he, he found his comfort zone in doing the brilliant, some of these brilliant movies that he does. Right. And for whatever this, you know, this wasn't quite the right fit, but he is an extraordinary filmmaker. I mean, this was an opportunity to work with really great filmmakers Right. You know, we, 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 yeah, we wanted, we wanted directors with, with that kind of intelligence and unique points of view. And it's their choice ultimately, you know, they, they realize that what they want to do is maybe not exactly what is mission impossible, what's required for mission impossible. Right. And there were so many, more people along the way here too with with Joe Carnahan came on as director and mm-hmm. I think was it Dan Gilroy who was writing with him and then yes. Frank Darabont also as a writer I mean, yes. there's so many versions of MI3 before you get to JJ I don't know if there's anything you remember from that time period before we get to JJ or And if you have any of if you have any of these uh lying around obviously you know Paula where to <laughs> if there's if you're going to you have yeah, our email address you can drop them off yeah, you can yeah send exactly us a we would love to know what Darabont was up to or you know Gilroy or all these guys and all these think really this is a, a litany of the great writer directors you know yeah greats that that were writing and directing great movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at Dan Gilroy now. What an amazing talent he is. Yeah. Joe Carnahan, very talented. Very talented director. His got really close, right? I mean, we've seen photos of stunt testing and yeah, stuff. We weren't we weren't in production though. We weren't in we weren't even in full pre-production. We weren't ready to go there. What do you think the hold up with that version was? Or why it didn't connect or whatever. Um, I I just think I think he had a vision, a really fascinating vision, but I just didn't quite. Again, I don't think it fit into, you know, the Mission Impossible of it. The vision, his vision. Okay. And but he's certainly talented director, and we weren't we weren't ready to be in full-on pre-production. Right. Um, And then, of course, J.J. Yeah. And the the script is evolving and the ideas are evolving. You know, Tom had seen... J.J. had a series called Alias, which was a spy thriller type of series. Um, Great actors in it. And Tom really, really liked it. And again, looking for a director that has the feel and the touch and the stylistic, you know, uh, dynamics that you want in a film. And um, I had known J.J. Again, he had been a CAA client as a writer, and I had known J.J. 
for a number of years. And Tom and JJ had gotten to know each other, really liked each other. And Tom again said, I think JJ should direct this. We saw his trailer. He slipped us, JJ slipped us a trailer of Lost. Fabulous, fabulous. You could just, that he had directed. So now we have one task, which is to convince the studio that a television star, director, writer, creator, now has never directed a film and is now ready to come in and tackle a substantial budget, the big franchise for the studio, and we want him to direct it. So that is an impossible mission unto itself. And it took uh, Ethan Hunt to come in and and make it happen. <laughs> well, especially especially back then, that was a the you know delineation between TV and movies was a much bigger deal back then. Well, it was you know the relationship between TV and movies back then was very separate. If you were a movie star, you didn't do television, and it was hard for television actors to cross over into doing movies. It was a more um, it was more separated. You know, it didn't, it wasn't okay. It, it, the whole, you know, our whole business has changed, completely changed. Mm -hmm. We've gone through and are still going through massive sea change. And um, I'm optimistic, but I'm, my passion is film. I want to go to the movies. I want to make movies. I want to see movies. I want the experience. There's nothing like the experience of being on a movie set and everybody kind of working in, in concert in unison. And it's not to say there's not a lot rugged times and egos and emotions and all those things, but when it's all working, it's thrilling. It really is. And of course, working on the mission impossible, you know, being part of the launch of of a franchise that has gone on and on and on. And, you know, continues to work with what wonderful, talented people and and continues to please audiences all over the world. That's, you know, that's very satisfying for me as a producer. But going back, so Tom's mission, and he accepted it, was to go in and convince Sherry Lansing that J.J. was the person to direct Mission 3. And he did. And that was the beginning of a really fine experience, a really great experience working with JJ and his team and our team, putting them together. Yeah. I mean, that that one was, I mean, we've studied all these movies and the making of all these movies, but MI3 really seems like it was the most straightforward production, like with a, you know, a lot, there's been like sort of an improvisational quality to the making of some of these movies, but that one felt like it really had a script and it was, it just went through and you finished, I think early, uh, you know, on time or early and, and under budget or whatever. Like it was a whole, it was, yeah. it seemed like it was a, it was a painless birthing process on that one almost. Well, I wouldn't say, but say? <laughs> that sounds a little, uh, you know, too simplistic. A little too simplistic. <laughs> when, I don't, I don't think I recollect in in all my career making movies, just you know, hey, it happens. That's it. Let's go. Not it. It wasn't. <laughs> I mean, but I have to it's say, hard. I have to say that. 
also a couple of things, you know, the confluence of a number of things. This was the third one for Tom and me. And we had, and Tom particularly, you know, leading the charge here, really had a vision in a sense of what this was, who his character was, what the direction, the stories, and the and the through line is moving in. And I think that we started we evolved in our in our kind of vision and understanding and you know where where this had where it had potential to go and working with JJ it was the right person at the right moment he was ready and he brought with him really terrific crew his production designer um yeah, his Scott Chambliss we talked to him Scott on the show. Yeah, Scott yep. Chambliss mm-hmm. and his composer. Yeah, Giacchino, um, we've talked to him as well. Giacchino, who's gone on to win Academy Awards. Uh, we brought to the table uh, some production uh, production managers, a team that we had worked with Cruz in Cruz Wagner Productions. Um, great AD, a great AD. Was that and Tommy put, Gormley? Was that Tommy Gormley? That was yeah, his first Tom- one because he's been on the series ever since. Yeah, Tommy. The way I got to know Tommy was he was he was uh, an AD in South Africa when we shot a movie that Robert Town wrote and directed called "Ask the Dust," right? Based on the John Fonte novel about early Los Angeles, and he was the the AD on that. He was fantastic. So it was put it, you know, and I thought, you know, I think there was a sense of let's, he would be a great mix with JJ. And I think he stayed on the series ever since. Yeah. And so it was like marrying people like that, you know, help working with JJ to find just the right DP. Who's the right person temperamentally? Um, who's the right person visually? Yeah. Uh, casting, you know, casting it. I mean, God, we got a great cast. JJ and Tom. I mean, he was, Philip Seymour Hoffman was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Um, he was, oops, whoops, the dog's barking. So that's okay. <laughs> Um, we love dogs. We love dogs. You were saying uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he was just brilliant. He really was extraordinary. So no, he he barks anytime there, there's a phone ringing in another room, and he barks anytime he hears a phone. <laughs> he would be it. a he would be a great agent. Yeah, um, big dog, dog people on the yeah. show. Where were we? Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah, he was he was extraordinary. I think we I think one of the things we focus on on different aspects. And one of the things is that we wanted, we wanted to really have a a highly developed villain, you know, a, a, a complex, complicated character. Your villain is really important in this world, who your villain is, what their motives are, what they do, how they do it. So that the more obstacles are created for your, your, your lead. So, you know, it gives more, more for Ethan Hunt to really 
take on the challenge. So anyway, just it's it's really important to have a, a fully fleshed out villain, have a villain that that has, you know, complexities. It gives the gives our hero, Ethan Hunt, something to really to create obstacles for him. Right. Gives him a greater challenge. You know, the, 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 the more complex the villain, I think, the more that taxes our lead. And that creates tension. And they'd shared that great scene together in Magnolia. And now it was yes. bringing, bringing him back to come. Yeah, exactly. Different, different circumstances to have that, that, that act off to start the movie, which is so wonderful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We'll be back with more from Paula Wagner after the break. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Of all the versions of Mission Impossible that didn't get made, what was the one that you were saddest to see go, or the one that you would want to, want to have seen the most? Uh, I'm I'm actually I don't think I experienced sadness. Okay. <laughs> we we want to we want to uh, see the body organ snatching. Uh, David Fincher movie, but maybe he'll make that in another form, you know, but what great <laughs> ideas. And by the way, all these ideas that came out of you know, out of the, uh, out of the missions, all the ideas were ahead of their time, but real issues, re- every single idea. Fantastic. You know, future futuristic. When you think about where we are today, right. You know, in 2023, a lot of a lot of the ideas that came out of mission were before their time, as it were. You know, there was a lot of research that went into this. I know I was I used to do all the research, but there was a lot of research in terms of what what are the threats of the the of the coming decade, you know, of the this was in the 19, you know late 90s so what were the threats that are going to be confronting us in the year 2000 you know on so mission two when you look at mission two chimera which was the uh, creation of a virus 
so that they could sell the antidote. Basically, that was at the core, but at the creation of this virus and, and how dangerous and deadly it was if it's basically unleashed on on the population. And that's how prescient can you get with something like that? I mean, that's pretty prophetic in a way. And that was that was a real you know, real kind of cornerstone of what lies at the core of Mission Impossible. What are the elements? What is it about? Going back to Mission One, right at that time, within the CIA, they were finding moles, people that were double agents, a couple of well-known characters that had turned and were working for Russia, but had been in the CIA. And I mean, that was a real, which is rooting out the mole. Who, who are the moles? Right. And in, in true Brian De Palma fashion, turn it upside down, you know, that to start the whole thing was to take the team, set the team up, you're, you identify with them, you connect with them, and then suddenly everybody gets killed at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Except for Ethan Hunt. Oh, he must be the bad guy. So that's very De Palma. And Wu was very much about creating this atmosphere, you know, setting up, you know, in in Spain and the, the blood red colors and the, you know, the dancers and the whole thing. You get this whole textured feel setting up something is going to happen. And then you know, bringing these unexpected movements, action movements, you know, that have grace and beauty and artistry and intensity. I mean, if you think of the the last knife scene between Dugray Scott and Tom. Yeah, that knife in the eye moment we talk about all the time. The knife, the knife tickling his eyelashes. No, <laughs> and he had to ha- do it that way. Tom, Tom is very much about about the authenticity of the moment. But if you think about the, that, to go from the big, you know, the fire and the, the motorcycles coming through the fire and jumping, and then you go into a very dangerously intimate moment, tight, tight shot of that knife just about to go into the eye. And that's very woo. That's very woo-like. And finally, you get to JJ, where it combines the action and the story and the characters and the emotion. It's very emo. The characters are emotional and personal. That's where you really get a personal connection with Ethan Hunt, you know, and in a real, you know, what's it like? What is it like personally? to be working for a secret agency and you can't be ever who you really are and asking those psychological philosophical questions. That's interesting too. When you find you want to go inside of a character, you know, what is he, how, how can you have a marriage when you're, you know, you're working for a spy organization, you can't be who you really are. And what does that, what is the, you know, what does that mean? Or the villain? You know, how did he get to that place? So these are the kind of things. So, it, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the whole series of films. And I'm really proud that 
mission one, two, and three really launched this great franchise in such a solid way with great filmmakers, actors, and of course, front and center, Tom Cruise. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this conversation. Paula, thank you so much for accepting this mission. Uh, I do, and I hope it was accomplished. I think it was. It was accomplished. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Charles, how do you feel? I mean, I know you feel a little sadness because... Yeah, it's bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. There's always a little bit of sadness saying goodbye, but so thrilled that we got to talk to Paula Wagner. I mean, it's kind of surreal because we we had talked about it from the start of... When we first started interviewing people five years ago, we were like, well, we got to get Paula Wagner. Could that ever happen? It's kind of one of those ones where you don't think it could ever happen. And uh, it happened. So we're all beneficiaries. And not only did it happen, but it was great. Yeah, yes, it was. Yes, a, it was great. a wonderful interview, and we cannot thank her enough. Um, yeah, but yeah. So we tried to get, we tried to get actual plot details about Mission Impossible Three. It didn't happen. I know the, the David Fincher one. Yeah, we're still yes. trying. Someday we're gonna have to get David Fincher. I think is what's gonna have to happen. Yeah, you know, I know these things seem impossible, but you know it's mission impossible this is the official mission impossible podcast we make these things possible it's what we do so if anybody is listening that knows him and thinks that he would put up with our bullshit please let us know because yes we are ready or if they know a strategy for how to trick him into coming on the show yes if there's any hypnotists <laughs> uh, that are listening that could maybe give us some tips as well well we can talk about 90 percent of the interview could be about the rest of his career we just need 10 percent about Mission Impossible 3. That's it. Well, you know? tw- let's tw- we, 20%, 20 percent of Charles. 20%, we need to, yeah. 20%, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it was cool to hear that, you know, she she said that, uh, you know, bringing Fincher and Robert Town together on Mission Impossible 3. And now they are working together on that Chinatown show. Yeah. We haven't really heard anything about that recently. We should follow yeah, up with Paula just off, off the air just to see <laughs> where we're at with that. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, that was a great. That was a great anecdote, and it's great to have talked to someone who, you know, because usually, Charles, we talk to people who are in and out of the productions, right? They come in or they help develop it or whatever, but to have somebody that was there from literally before the first movie all the way through the release of the third one is just such an invaluable resource uh, to us and what we're trying to do on the show. So it was really, that was really special. Yeah. And it was, uh, I want to say too, it was fun to hear that that's the, that's the second time we've heard about that hailstorm recently. Yes. Because Arthur Anderson just told us a story about that hailstorm on MI2 uh, in Australia. Uh, we just heard that story for the first time recently. And now, you know, Paula tells the story, too. It must have been a, a hell of a hailstorm. <laughs> yeah. That that hailstorm really scarred these people. Um, but yeah, yeah. we love hearing about it. So yeah. that was great. Um, yeah. I mean, anything else, Charles, you want to wrap up? this amazing chat with yeah i mean i just want to i guess reiterate what we talked about last week you know the the just these movies just get the highest level of artists and it's just amazing to see top to bottom and and to hear paula talk about all these amazing people who worked on these movies it's just great and it was such an honor to talk to her and so i'm just yeah that's it for me i think uh what uh what should we have the people do 
What should the people do? Let, this could also help if we have a hypnotist to get everybody to do these things. Yes. You know? So okay. Anyway, we need, a, I, we need to get a hypnotist yeah. on staff. I just want to stress to people that we are not above using dark magic to <laughs> achieve our goals. So just keep that in mind. Um, we're going to get a note from Paramount that's going to say, do not reference the occult in this podcast. But, you know, we're, we're going to do it. We're, we're, we're trying. So the first thing I want people to do is obviously watch the first six movies on Paramount Plus that are they're there right now. It's the perfect thing to do if you have time over the holidays or you're spending time with your family at the end or beginning of this year. Go ahead and go and, and watch them all. But also, Charles, to follow that up. I want people to buy Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning either through their favorite digital provider or physical media, which you and I love. Yes. Blu-ray, DVD, 4K HD disc, which we have and love. Yes. That 4K steelbook with the red case. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's really great. Also, obviously, like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Follow us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Light the Fuse Pod. And the most important thing people can do, Charles, come back here next Tuesday for a brand new episode of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. As we said before, we've got back catalog episodes coming up. We've gotten cleared, and you're going to be able to hear some of the best of the best interviews we've done over the years. Yeah, uh, coming up in the in the in the coming weeks. Oh, that's so fun! And obviously, keep in touch with us. Reach out to us on social media. We love hearing from you. And if you have somebody you want to hear on the show, also please let us know. Yes. There is a Mission Impossible movie coming out in 2025. We're going to get there together, and we're so excited. So thank you all so much. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producer is Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. 